I'm going to read out from John 1, verse 1 to 5. This is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's word. Let me pray quickly. Father, uh, bless the preaching of your word today. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, I tuned in on online a few days later because we were in Adelaide, but I, I listened to Tobias preach on John 1, uh, 1 to 3. And in that, we clearly see the self-existence and eternality of Christ. He is the Word that was in the beginning. Before anything, there was the Word that is Christ and He uh, has entered into the world. We know in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But what we clearly see uh, John establishing early on is this self-existence and eternality of Christ. Before anything was made, he was there. Just the sheer idea of everything in this world, in this universe being created, it has a beginning and yet Jesus simply is. He just is. He is self-existent, eternal in the Godhead. God is eternal. And it's in this context, the self-existence and eternality of Christ, that John is then going to introduce these themes of life and light. These are themes that pop up again and again throughout John. Life and light. Jesus is the light of the world. He comes to give life and life abundantly and one reason why John introduces these themes here of life and light right after establishing the self-existence and eternality of Christ is because Jesus is the source of all life and light everything flows from him he's the source of all things this is what we were just singing about all life flows from him Colossians 1 15 to 16 for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is not only the source, but he is the end of everything. Everything was created for him and, or everything was created rather through him and everything will return to him in praise and glory. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, when he's writing on this, he says, God is the foundation and fountain of all being and beauty. And he says, just as the sun, the sun in the sky, is the summary and comprehension of all of the brightness of the day. Remember, Edwards is writing before electricity. So the sun is like your primary light. He says, just as the sun in the sky is the summary and comprehension of all of the brightness of the day, we don't get any brightness apart from the sun. In this way, God's being and beauty, his very essence, is the sum and comprehension of all existence and excellence. Everything that exists and that is excellent finds its 
fulfillment and purpose in the God who created that, which is everything. Everything was created through him and for him. So the purpose of John's prologue here, remembering in verses 1 to 18, is to just very clearly demonstrate that Jesus is the self-existent, eternal God who has come in the flesh to bring life and light to those living in a world of darkness. And I've been thinking about how relevant this is for today, the idea of light shining in darkness, because we live in a world of darkness. There always has been darkness, but you feel the darkness more now than ever in the sheer apathy of people in this culture. Such darkness. Think of darkness hinders your sight. You can't see anything good. You can't see anything. This is people who are spiritually blind. They're living in a world of darkness. The irony of uh, the phrase, the, the, the verse, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. The irony of that just floating around everywhere in this season, because it's probably posted on many Christmas cards that people are sending who have no idea of the significance of that passage. And just a few verses before that in Isaiah 9 verse 2, right before we read of a child is given to us, a son is born, uh, the prophet Isaiah says, he's prophesying of actually how the sun would bring light. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. He's saying there's deep darkness and the light that is shining is the sun that is being given to us. Think of that, the child being born, people obviously don't realize this, but that's God becoming a human. That's an incredible thing. And yet it's posted on Christmas cards all around that no one even reads and just gets tossed in the trash. Such darkness to fail to comprehend the magnitude of the child being born that at one point God was smaller than Lewis, was actually a baby. Such is his love that he enters in to humanity, into the flesh. And that that child being born is God shining his light into the world saying, turn to me, you sinners. Trust in my son. And yet we live in a world of deep darkness that fails to see that. But this passage today is talking about how light shines in this darkness. So as we begin, let's remember to take this passage uh, in this larger framework, even uh, hundreds of years before the Gospel of John was written, Isaiah was prophesying about how the light would come into the world. And if we go even further back, as uh, Tobias mentioned last week, the similarities between Genesis chapter 1, the opening verses of Genesis, to John's word here. Genesis 1.1 is basically saying, in the beginning, God created everything. John 1.1 we have in the beginning was the word and then verse three and everything was created through him. Genesis one verses two and three is saying darkness was hovering. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light. And John one five says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 
So John is clearly demonstrating that just as God in the beginning created everything and there was darkness and he caused light to come, in the same way, God in Jesus is bringing about the new creation by shining light into a world of darkness. And he has done that by revealing himself to the world as the word become flesh, as the son of God. And in revealing himself, he's revealing where true life is to be found. This is about true life, which is the burning question at the core of everyone, right? This is often something I say to people who seem to be a a bit apathetic. And I say, surely you have some thought about purpose or meaning in life. Surely you want to know about meaning in life. And I think at the core of everyone, there is this desire to understand that. What is the purpose and what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? And these verses don't um, explicitly tell us what the meaning of life is, but they clearly direct us to say it will only ever be found in Jesus. That's the only place it will be found. In him is life. Nowhere else outside of him is life. So verse four, in him was life. Let's unpack this a bit. Remember the purpose of John's gospel Uh, Chapter 20, verse 31, John summarizes it. The purpose of this gospel account is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may actually have this full life, this purposeful life. True life is found in Jesus. He is the source of all life and existence. You can't find anything living that doesn't ultimately have its source and end in Jesus. Now, something that we have to then wrestle with, of course, is that there are plenty of people who don't know Jesus, who we would still say are living, right? Like for the first 22 years of my life, I was still living in some sense, had no comprehension of Jesus, but would still be alive. So what is this life that we're talking about, that John is talking about? And of course, this life is the spiritual life. We are spiritually dead The life that Christ brings is this spiritual life that then encapsulates our physical life as well, but it is consistent with the new life from those who have been born again. Jesus comes to give true life, which is this spiritual new birth that wakes us up, that brings us to life, that we may see the majesty of God, that we may understand that our whole entire purpose is to know this God in Jesus Christ. This is true life and the bold implicit claim here is that if you do not have this you have a cheap superficial substitute that is no life at all and that is the bold claim that is implicit here if you do not know jesus you have a cheap superficial substitute that is no life it's deadness You're a corpse. There's no life in that. Jesus comes to give true life to those who are dead in darkness. And this life is centered on the knowledge of God. John 17, 3 in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
So there's a better explanation of what life is. What's the meaning of life? To know God. That's it. That's eternal life. That, they, that we know the only true God and Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. Paul summarizes this in a different way where he quite simply says, to live is Christ. Literally, it's just to live Christ. That's it. That's the summary of what he sees as life. To live Christ. That's it. So let me give a, a clear summary of the logic here in, in true life. So true life is to know God. True life is to know God. We know God because God has revealed himself to us. God has to disclose himself. He has to actually reveal himself to us. And God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. That's how he has revealed himself. So true life is to know God. We know God because he's revealed himself to us and he has revealed himself to us in Jesus. And when we know Jesus, we know God. And when we know God, we are connected to the source of life. And that is how we have life. We are reconciled and connected, made alive in order to swim in the ocean of knowing God. And the clear implication from this, as I've said, is that if we are disconnected from God because we don't know Jesus, then we are disconnected from the source of life. It's like all of the beautiful Christmas lights that are on at this uh, time of the year. If they are not connected to their source of life, that is power, then they are simply a heap of dead wires and bulbs. And when it's dark, you can't see anything. It doesn't matter how well you dress it up. If they're not connected to the source of life, they're just a heap of dead wires and bulbs. They're just pointless. You can't see anything. And likewise, human beings can dress themselves up in all sorts of dreams and virtue and ambition but they are empty shells if they are not connected to the source of life. They're just empty shells. True life is to know God. We know God because he has revealed himself in Jesus and in Jesus is life. To be even clearer, Jesus is the whole sum of our life and salvation. He's not simply an aspect of our life. He's the whole sum of our life and salvation. Now, I want to just put legs on this so that it doesn't remain too abstract. So Jesus is not simply an aspect of life. The reason I think this is important is because we have a tendency to compartmentalize things in this world. Particularly as Christians, we compartmentalize things. So we have the Christian things we do. We pray, we read our Bible, we do this thing here and gather and sing some songs. And then we have our work. We have the Monday to Friday uh, job. We have our social life, maybe a sports team. And we compartmentalize our lives. And what this results in is people trying to fit Jesus in at their convenience because he just serves an aspect of their lives. We've compartmentalized everything. And so we come to Jesus when we need to sort of fill up the spiritual part of our life. I think we see this in people's prayer lives. When if the only time that you pray is on your transit to work 
or maybe when someone hasn't shown up for something and you think, oh, well, I guess I'll spend some time in prayer. Now, those things aren't wrong, but if that's the only time that you pray, it would suggest that you're really trying to fit Jesus in at your convenience, when it's convenient for you. Or we see it in uh, people uh, professing followers of Jesus, making major life decisions, like a new career, for example. And it totally being about their own felt needs and selfish desires. So, for example, the, the decision for a new career is made and then maybe, maybe long after that, as an afterthought, there is the thought of how is this going to affect my spiritual health? Is there a community of faithful disciples that I'm going to be able to be plugged into where I'm going? Or is the career that I'm going into going to actually impede my spiritual health or how are the people that I belong to now going to be affected by this decision? These are all afterthoughts at best for us. And I think what they show, they're just subtle ways that demonstrate that we've compartmentalized Jesus. Our lives are about our felt needs, our desires, and Jesus comes along to help us when we need him. We fit him in at our convenience. And this doesn't treat Jesus as the source and end of our life. It treats him more like a sort of quick charger that you come to to just get charged up and then you go out, sort of thank you, Jesus, and then go out and you go out to the other aspects of your life. Jesus is a means to an end rather than the end. Whereas John here, in him was life and the life was the light of men, is saying that Jesus is the end. He is the source and the goal. He's everything. To live is Christ. In Christ is life. We don't jump in and out of Christ, just like with our salvation. We don't jump in and out of that, depending on how we're feeling. Likewise, we don't compartmentalize our lives so that there are certain things that we forget about him. He encompasses everything. And the reason why professing Christians can live these compartmentalized lives is because I believe we have not comprehended the sheer worth and preciousness of Christ. We simply haven't comprehended how precious he is as the source and end of all things. Psalm 36 says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. Listen to this language. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. You are the fountain of life. Everything flows from you. We must understand that we're, we're not going to seek anything good outside of Christ. Jesus is the whole sum of our life and salvation. And if we see him, if we see him as the fountain of life, then we are actually lifted above our circumstances, whether our circumstances are our workplace or relationships 
or the neighborhood that we live in, if we see him as the fountain of life, we are lifted above these. The problem is that too many segregate these, they compartmentalize these things like various relationships, Christian relationships and non-Christian relationships, workplace, career, these sorts of things. We compartmentalize them and segregate them. And when we segregate them, they become an end. They become an end in themselves. So when you, comp- when you segregate your career from Christ, you must find satisfaction in your career. It must be fulfilling. Otherwise, that's it, because it is an end in itself. But where Christ is the whole sum of our life, then we pursue satisfaction in him, for he is the end, and these things are merely means to that end of satisfaction in Christ. So we can take or leave. Like Paul said, we can be brought high or low, well-fed or hungry, for we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Christ is the whole sum of our life. So a question just to wrap up these first few words for you. Do you come to Jesus as the source and end of all life? Is Jesus the source and the goal of all life or is he merely a means to an end? If we stick with maybe a phone analogy, are you a mobile like an iPhone that just needs to be charged every now and then and then you go off and you disconnect? Now, of course, mobiles are generally better than landlines, but for the sake of this example, I would suggest that we are a landline. I'm assuming most of us are old enough to remember a landline. It's connected in. You don't rip it out or it's broken. It must stay connected. So we, in our spiritual life, are not mobile phones that we just charge up and go out. We're actually landlines. We stay connected to the vine. That's Jesus saying, just stay connected, just remain in me. I'm the whole sum of life. Don't come to Jesus as a means to an end. He is the source and end. Remain connected. So in Christ is the fullness of life. He is the source and end of all life. And we're now told this life was the light of men, or it's another way of saying this life enlightens men. Verse 9 tells us the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is Christ. His life is the light of men. How does this life, which is found in Jesus, give light to mankind? Very, very quickly, Uh, Just to summarize light, light is often used uh, throughout Scripture, but particularly with John, which he will develop these themes later on to portray uh, good and bad. It is uh, not a completely dualistic way of thinking, but there's a lot of those themes where light is good, darkness is bad. It's also used in connection with sobriety and alertness. So light is being alert, being watchful, whereas Darkness is like drunkenness. So the Bible says we, people get drunk in the nighttime. In the light, in the daytime, we are alert, we are awake. And very simply, light allows us to see. We can't see anything in the dark. Darkness hinders our sight. Light illuminates us. 
So Jesus as the source and end of life comes into the world to bring light, which is to say he illuminates us to himself. And implicit in this is the fact that we are in darkness. As I've already said, this world is in darkness. We were in darkness. It wasn't like we found the switch and flicked it on. It was that God revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. He illuminated us. Only in Jesus is the darkness driven away. Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians. So I want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just for a moment to help develop this. In 2 Corinthians 4, uh, Paul talks about the new covenant. In chapter 3, it's all talking about the new covenant in terms of the veil being lifted off. And as, uh, just as Moses put a veil over himself to hide the glory uh, in the same way those in Paul's day in the first century continue to read the old covenant with a veil over themselves. They can't see what the old covenant was pointing to. And he says only in Christ is the veil lifted off and people see. So in verses three to four of chapter four of Second Corinthians, Paul says the gospel is only veiled to those who are perishing because the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What he's saying is that there is darkness. There is darkness, which ultimately comes from the evil one. And that darkness prevents people from seeing the light. They are blind. They're dead. They can't see the light. The light that comes into the world is the gospel of the glory of Christ, the good news of the glory of Christ. And Paul here in chapter four of Second Corinthians does the same thing as what John is alluding to, where John alludes back to Genesis one in the creation account to show how the new creation is coming about with God shining light into the world. Paul does the same thing here, where in verse six of chapter four, he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's referring us back to Genesis one, when God, just as God said, let light shine out of darkness. And then there was light in the same way. God has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is a meal in itself. God has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is saying that just as God spoke life into existence, when there was nothing, the God who speaks things as they are, though they are not, he speaks things into existence. He did that by saying, let there be light, just as God has done this in creation as the gospel is proclaimed, as the gospel is made known, that is as though God is shining a light into our hearts, illuminating us to the good news, illuminating us to the majesty of Christ. And the light is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is how, back to John 1, this is how the life becomes the light 
of man. This is how the life enlightens us because the life of Christ brings us the gospel and the gospel illuminates us. As the word is proclaimed, it's like in the darkness of our hearts, a light shines and we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Glory, a, a very simple way of understanding glory is like light or brightness. That's the concept of it. It's radiance. It's just like as the clouds cover the sun and thick clouds make the day dark. It's not like the sun has disappeared. The sun is still there. And finally, when the clouds are removed, we feel the radiance of the sun upon us. The radiance of this hot Canberra sun beating down upon us. The clouds can cover it and all of a sudden it feels like the temperature drops substantially. But when the clouds are removed, we feel the radiance and warmth of the sun. And likewise, our darkened hearts were covered. People's hearts are covered. It's not as though God is no less glorious. He is entirely glorious but something is covering it, darkness. And when the gospel comes, when God removes the clouds, when he turns his face toward us in Jesus Christ, we feel the radiance of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The face was the sign of the blessing, just like Uh, The priestly blessing talks about make your face shine upon us. In Daniel 9, his prayer was, God, make your face shine upon this sanctuary. The curse is where God turns his face away. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ because in Jesus, it is as though God is turning his face toward us saying, here is my blessing, my son given for you. And in that, we feel the radiance of the glory of God because Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, Hebrews 1 tells us. And apart from this, if God didn't reveal himself to us, we wouldn't even know light. Like Psalm 36, 9 tells us, in your light, do we see light? You have to light, you have to enlighten us so that we can even see what goodness is, so that we can even see what light is. Otherwise, it's such a thick darkness because the world is corrupted by sin. But praise God in his mercy, he enlightens us to his glory. We are awakened to the beauty and wonder of Christ. When God in his mercy illuminates us to that reality, he shines light into our hearts that captivates us. We feel the radiance of it. And this is life. I mean, what better and more fulfilling life could there be than to just behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? That's what Paul actually at the end of 2 Corinthians 3 talks about, the way that we are transformed, sanctified and brought from one degree of glory to another is as we simply behold the glory of God. The word for behold is the same word as reflecting in the same way that a crystal clear and smooth lake perfectly reflects all of the background. It's that idea that as we simply bask in the radiance and glory of God, we reflect that same glory. We are being transformed into that. This is the purpose of life that we would just commit ourselves to knowing Christ more deeply. 
and so be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And this is, Lord willing, what we will do as we study the Gospel of John together over the next year or two or three, however long, we will just bask in the glory of God. We will look more deeply at the Christ of our salvation, that we may have a clearer picture of Him. And that is how we see the glory of God and have our hearts illuminated by His majesty. So we've seen what true life is. It is to know God. We know God because He's revealed Himself to us. He has enlightened us in the life of Christ so that we may behold the glory of God in the face of of Jesus, And now we see how the light conquers the darkness of this world. In verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, light and darkness, these concepts of good and evil, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. We are trans- transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light as we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are brought out of thick darkness and into a wonderful, radiant, beautiful light that we see in Christ. Now, I think we know theoretically that God conquers all. It's hard to imagine even a really immature Christian having some doubts as to whether God is all-powerful. You just would have to read the Bible with a blindfold to to believe that. God is clearly all-powerful. He conquers all. But I don't believe that we meditate on it enough. And I was actually reminded of this for those of you who came to the the church camp um, the other week when Mike uh, was talking about remembering the resurrection and just reminding us of how actually it wasn't so much the message of the crucifixion that uh, caused the followers of Christ to really be so significant, but it was actually the message of the resurrection because thousands of people were crucified. None were resurrected except Jesus. It was the message of the victory that he actually rose from the dead. And likewise, I think we mustn't forget the triumph of the true light coming into the world. This may be more of a message for us in a more sort of conservative, reformed circle because you usually think of more maybe your Pentecostals that are constantly talking about the victory we have in Jesus Christ and conquering and you're going to be a conqueror and we just enjoy this victory. Maybe we react a bit too much against the reality of that. Actually, there is a wonderful victory that we celebrate and that we rejoice in and that we actually become partakers in. This is that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There is no way. God has set his people in the world on an impossible to stop trajectory toward glory. This is the hope that we have. Light shines, the darkness has not overcome it. I think it's beautiful that God has given us a daily reminder by the sun in the sky constantly, every day, rising and all of a sudden the darkness is driven away. It's not as if some days the sun comes up and all of a sudden there's some power battle and it goes dark again and then the sun comes back up. No, the sun rises and darkness is just driven away completely. Light shines, the darkness doesn't overcome it. The only time darkness comes is when the sun 
simply withdraws because darkness is obviously just the absence of light. And so when God causes his light to shine over the darkness, both in creation and the new creation, both in each day, but then also in the new creation, he is asserting his complete and dominant victory over all darkness. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. When God entered into human flesh, an amazing thing, when God actually entered into human flesh and Jesus lived, died and rose again in our place, he demonstrated his complete ability to conquer darkness. Death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. He rose again. He ascended. He is seated at the seat at the Father's right hand. And he will return to finally complete that victory. And John, the same writer, tells us, just as I draw to a close, John tells us in his first letter, so not the Gospel of John, but in his first letter, he actually tells us that we share in this victory. So he says in 1 John, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, namely by us trusting in Jesus. We share in the victory. Darkness doesn't have a hold over us, regardless of the presence of sin that we live in. We trust that the same grace which saved us is the same grace which is able to complete us and bring us toward the Father on the day of redemption. His victory is ours, and this is the good news. The world is stained by darkness because of the corruption of sin. And we in our sin lie in deep darkness. Don't forget the reality of that. We were in darkness until a light shone and the light of the world in Jesus Christ came. The darkness fled and we receive this new life through Christ our Saviour who has overcome the world and our response as wonderful it is to just bask in that truth our response as disciples which demonstrates that the light has shone in our hearts our response is that we walk in that light like john says if we walk in the light as he is in the light then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the darkness, we have no fellowship. Our response is that we actually walk in the light. And as we walk in the light, as we commit ourselves to a body of believers, to stir one another on, to love and good works, to actually daily come and drink deeply from his word, to be in moments of deep and wonderful prayer, whether it be for two minutes or two hours, as we commit ourselves to these things, walking in the light, then in the same way as light exposes darkness, light illuminates what is in the darkness, that we may do away with it. The same process occurs as we walk in the light. The darkness of sin is exposed and driven away. That's how we mortify the flesh. That's how we kill sin. We walk in the light and darkness is exposed. Christ is the fountain of all 
life. Everything flows from him and that life enlightens us to the glory of God. We are illuminated to the wonderful glory of the Lord. And as we walk in the light, we remain connected to the source of life. Not just as a means to an end. Christ is not a means to an end. He is the end. He is the goal. He is the whole entire purpose of our lives, that we may know him and glorify him and enjoy him forever. And when we do that, when we set ourselves on that vertical plane, we are lifted above our circumstances. We enjoy all things in Christ rather than looking to other things as the end. He is the whole sum, foundation of our lives.